Leonard Cohen suggested there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Well, hello again. It's it's uh, Mac Bogert back again. Um, so I keep coming back to this podcast, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. And I am here today with John Bowling. We have never met in the flesh, and we never would have met if my next-door neighbor hadn't listened to this podcast and said, what do you do for a living? And I told him, and he said, I got a guy you got to talk to. He said, you got to call this guy, John Bowling. You guys are going to hit it off. So here we are hitting it off. So John, if you would tell us a little bit about how you got here, your story to date, I think that's a great place to start. Sure. Thank, thanks, Matt. And uh, fun, fun to be here. Enjoyed our, our brief conversation uh, a few weeks ago as, as well. Um, so my, my story... I think the work that I do, I, I have an organization called Sustainable Leadership Consultants and work with, work with organizations around strategy and leadership. And that's kind of the, the headline of a business card or something. But the, the, what got me here is a little bit more complex. So I, I started life really um, in kind of a working class neighborhood, a blue, blue collar kind of neighborhood and set off in the world. I've been mostly on my own since I was 13 years old and kind of fought my way out of some difficult situations and, and set off in life. And I was a commercial fisherman in Alaska and spent lots of seasons uh, up in the Aleutian Islands as a king crab fisherman in Southeast Alaska as a commercial salmon fisherman. And, and somewhere along the way, uh, found my way back to college, and uh, I had an older sister. We had six kids, and and one of one of my uh, siblings had made it to college, and she got me enrolled in college. And I I didn't have much else going on at that time, and so off off I went to college, and I'll kind of fast forward. One thing led to another, and uh, I just kept going and going, and uh, finally earned a PhD in psychology from Texas A&M and had the intent of using, using that degree to really focus on leadership and strategy and business. And based on the idea or belief that if I could understand uh, interpersonal dynamics and intrapersonal dynamics, I could use that knowledge to help others lead well and perhaps lead well myself. And so, I started down a business path, uh, founded a company with a couple other people, and we were pretty successful in many ways. And that led to another opportunity, and I, I was engaged with an organization and had a chance to do a startup hospital, specialty hospital, and start a number of businesses over the years, and met with a lot of success, um, but eventually realized that while I was successful from a business perspective, life was passing me by. Uh, I felt like I missed all my little kids, everything. Um, 
I, I did fine financially, but felt like I paid other people to live my life because I didn't have time uh, flying around on planes and, and made a big decision to just stop and relocate. And my boys were eight and nine. We moved to Southern Oregon at the time and really chose a different lifestyle. And, and eventually that led me to um, start Sustainable Leadership Consultants. And I think the the lessons or, or uniqueness of that path for me is I'm, I'm a strange mix. And that strange mix is sort of this, this blue collar world and understanding with academia, we've taught at universities lots of ways over the years, and then a business background, it sort of all rolled into one. And the thing that I'm most grateful about that background and how it led me to where I'm at today feel like it gave me a lot of experience and, and knowledge of people across broad cross sections. So I've been able to, to serve people in fields as diverse as the timber industry and manufacturing to financial services and, and all sorts of sectors in between really. So that, that's, that's a thumbnail of my story. <laughs> one, uh, one, one of the privileges of this strange time is that I have, I have never before in my life since college been this connected to this many people. Um, and I can connect the people from anywhere on the planet, which is a real blessing. A couple of things about what you said. Number one, I really like your chaotic and circuitous career path. <laughs> um, I have had one myself. I've been a performing musician, a professional actor, a yacht charter captain. So we have the uh, sea as a as a connector. Um, and I didn't start doing this until 1994 when I got fired. And then I realized that everything I'd, I had done had prepared me for this. But it was never it was never a linear progression. When I, when I was in college, I didn't go, I'm going to be a leadership consultant. <laughs> no, I had no mm -hmm. idea. And the second thing as you were speaking, um, and maybe this is one of the things we can talk about, is I would guess that having had a, a wildly winding life gives us a certain resilience that maybe somebody who's had a very linear life, you know, go to college, graduate, get married, have 2.3 children, get a career, retire 35 years later, you know, that kind of, of, of life may not prepare us as well for this disruption, chaos, and stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I think my own risk tolerance is is fairly high and and had this experience while king crab fishing you know it's very dangerous work and even even more so uh, back back then uh, because of the quota system was was different back then it was one quota for the whole fleet on your market set go wow. and when the when it was captured the season was over today boats get very wisely individual boat quotas so it's it's different, but so there were many, many times, many life and death kinds of experiences, and unfortunately lost a few friends out, out in the Bering Sea. And 
where that served me in terms of resilience is later on in my business career. Many, many times facing a tough decision or, or giving tough feedback, I would think in my head that, well, I knew I wasn't in danger of losing my life as I was in the Bering Sea. And therefore, the threat was significantly less. I was able to tolerate, I might lose a job, I might lose a, a, an initiative, I might, I might fail on an acquisition, um, but I wasn't gonna lose my life. So what was, what was the, really the magnitude of the threat? And that, that stayed with me, and, and I think that is, that is the heart of resilience. And, and frankly, I, I, as a parent, I have two boys, they're both in college, and you know I've often worried about their development of resilience because I, of course, created a life as best I could for them that, that took out many, if not all, of the rough edges that I had to experience growing up, many of which were very painful. And, and so while that felt good on the one hand as a provider and a father, I, I don't know how many experiences they had that were really, really difficult that will prepare them in life uh, as, as I was prepared. How are they, how are they doing? Um, I, I hardly could expect you to be objective. Uh, and you do a lot of coaching and stuff. So, so, so you can, you can um, gain some distance to like look at people's problems and people's situations from a more or less objective place. How are your sons doing with this crap? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, a mix. One of the things I believe about coaching that I've practiced over the years is it's, to me, it's driven in part by a question, what, what works best for who and why? And, and which is another way of saying, I really need to understand the individual, where they're at, how they're wired, if, if I really want to help them. There is not a one-size-fits-all. There is no prescriptive template that I can overlay. And I would say the same is true for my two boys. So my youngest son, um, he's wired very similarly to me. And, and so it's, it's easier. And he's, he's pretty resilient. Uh, he had difficulty finding work. Uh, he had an internship fall through. Uh, in this climate, he's up in Portland, Oregon, and we hear about Portland in the news. And and what he decided to do is because he couldn't find work, he uh, volunteered. He volunteers twenty hours a week at a food pantry up there. And, and I just, as a father, I'm just incredibly proud of that. So he's able to look at a situation and say, "Well, what can I do?" Um, my, my older son, it's 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 a, a bumpier path for him. And he and his girlfriend are living with us this summer. And his tendency is to sort of do the opposite, to kind of cocoon, hunker down, hide out, get, find the safety in the nest, and just sort of hold on and, and, and ride it out. And the world gets really small. And so, you know, what I've realized, which has parallels to coaching, is with my younger son, I can bark at him at times, <laughs> you know, without much thought. And that he's fine. It works really well. Uh, my older son would be devastated by that. So I really, you know, I, I have to check myself and, and practice compassion and 
support more. So two different ways of handling this. And I think those two different ways also captures this broader spectrum of how people are handling this time of uncertainty. In my, uh, in my lifetime, I have fallen into both of those camps. I, I, uh, I, I test out as an introvert and I am shy, believe it or not, and I'm a stutterer. So as a kid, I learned to be, if not happy, at least okay with being by myself because that was, that was a cocoon, as, yeah. as, as you said. Um, but over the years, though I can still do that, for me, there's a danger there because I don't have enough data. As, as brilliant as you and I both are, my hard drive does not have enough information for, for me to be expansive enough to be closer to connection, happiness, effectiveness, you know, all those kinds of things. And one of the things I've noticed in this time in which we're in is how many people seem to move, be, be, be hungry for connection in a, in a different way than I used to see. There are, there are also people who were like, leave me alone, get away, I hate you too. But, but, but most people, and I don't think that's what your son's doing, but, but though, though, uh, though our need for connection may come out sideways, I think that's one of the really powerful things that's being exposed right now is we took connection for granted and we can't anymore yeah yeah i think we certainly with models of working from home while people may be back-to-back -back virtual meetings all day long yeah it it doesn't necessarily solve for connection at all it, it doesn't necessarily solve for relationship building it it tends to be focused on task at hand and and a lot of that is lost and so you have situations where people can be in conversation with other people all day long and in some cases even more than when they were in the workplace and feel very disconnected yeah and what i've what i've realized is the importance of in a virtual world it requires so much more intentionality around these concepts of connection and relationship building and it's 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 different we can't say let's let's schedule an extra hour meeting and do some connection and relationship building <laughs> it's how do you create the parallel of the water cooler moments the interactions that happen that are happenstance and accidental in the workplace that lead to new ideas and new relationships. How do you create the times when people can get to know a little bit about each other, about each other's kids or interests or struggles in, in a way that, that creates more vulnerability that we know leads to increased trust which accelerates then sort of business interactions, which where we, it's a, you know, we, we have that trust shorthand where we can move further faster. 
those dynamics to me have sort of leapt out during this time of this this virtual world and so you know as people contemplate some version of going back into offices some version of hybrid work it really begs for different questions in my mind and that is if we're going to be together in office space some of the time what's what's the best way to use that space if it is to separate desks and cubicles far apart and not engage it's just the same as virtual and and if we believe virtual accounts for interactions is the same way that we can make happen in person then we've sort of missed missed the mark again and so this is in my mind this is an ever evolving especially currently evolving process and i'm i'm intrigued and excited and and interested in seeing seeing how this develops and asking different questions about the way we work because i think there's a fundamental shift i don't think there is any going back to the way it was and and there's exciting possibility but one thing that i i believe strongly that i think we do know is that we can't manage the virtual world by applying the office management techniques and we probably going forward shouldn't manage the office space interactions in the way that we've been managing the virtual world that there's opportunities that each of those uh, present and so that that excites me um i'm on i'm on if not the same page i'm on the adjacent page um, one of my passions is is schools uh, that's what that's what that's what my book is about and part of what's happening right now i think we have to own because we've had some systems in place and i'm not a conspiracy theorist but we have had some systems in place that are left over from the sort of assembly line mindset i mean schools look like prisons and kids aren't stupid. I mean, kids know that, that, you know, they are prisons in a lot of ways. And, you know, organizations still have some exceptional old rules, which we know don't work. And we know that from research, not just from we are the world. I mean, you know, yeah. we know that. So this confluence of technology, the pandemic, an economic breakdown and shift, um, a sudden surfacing of, of a real strong human need for connection. And part of what that tells me is that that need was not being met in the old way too. So in this, in this space, um, like you, I'm excited about what a great chance this is to get rid of, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? So if your sort of organizational framework is like full of crap, like old thinking, top down, you know, suit and tie, that kind of stuff, then there isn't any room for new stuff. So this is such, I mean, some of it's already been discarded, like sitting around a table and talking. So we can say, all right, let's keep discarding the old stuff because we know it doesn't work. And in that space, as you said, we can mindfully go, okay, in the absence of 
being together all day, every day. Okay. What can we do with that? Yeah. Now, the last three courses, whatever you want to call them that I've taught, were all over the internet. And because of security on the client's end, they could not use video. So I spent three days each time looking at myself on the screen and all these little names on the side. Now, at first I was like, I'm going to, I'm not going to do this. I am not going to do this. But this is the astonishing part for me. It worked great. And it started to work when I just said, um, there's a, one of my clients is NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And one of the scientists there, because we were talking about change and metamorphosis, he took me aside and said, I need to tell you something. Most people don't know this. When a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, they don't like grow longer legs and wings pop up and their head change. They dissolve. They basically dissolve into this kind of organic formless paste, which means they start from scratch to build a butterfly. And I was like, wow, man, there it is. There it is. So we are in the paste stage right now. Yeah. What, what, a, what a great metaphor. Isn't, what a great metaphor. Powerful? Yeah. And it, it mirrors uh, my thinking about things that this, I, I think this is a, a more evolutionary time than we can fully uh, grasp. And I, I think, you know, at the organizational level, you know, I, we're seeing a lot of restructuring and reorganization. And, and I think part of that is because there should have been a lot of restructuring and reorganization before this pandemic. <laughs> but there was, there was no press yep. to do it. And, and you would hear some of that old crazy uh, response of, you know, we understand what we're doing is not working, but after all the time, money, energy, and effort we've put into it, we cannot stop now. And, <laughs> and that's crazy. But, but there was a bit of that phenomena. And so this forced stoppage, this forced disruption opened the door for people to rethink how they're doing business and, and, and really at the individual level, force people to rethink how they're living their lives. Yeah. And so that's the dissolution that, that you describe. And from that, we, we, we don't know what's going to grow, uh, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. You talked about doing work with schools. Um, I coach a superintendent out here in Oregon who is superintendent of what's called the educational school district, which provides support to 13 other large school districts. So kind of the whole Southern part of this state. And he's faced with supporting 13 school districts that each have been instructed uh, that, that they have certain requirements that they can meet, but each one is free to develop whatever they want to develop. And they don't have to report on that till August 15th. And school starts after Labor Day. And, and so the broader school district will have two weeks to figure out how to support 13 different school districts in 13 different ways with 13 different dramatically different spectrums of needs. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. And 
one of the things that gets talked about a lot is his growing awareness of when you look at schools, public schools, the community role that they've played. And yes, they look like prisons. At the same time, they've solved many, many problems for many families, and especially lower income families that couldn't address daycare, that didn't have time to maybe read to their kids, the, the situations where kids were not necessarily exposed to healthy families other than through some healthy kids that they might be exposed to at school that sort of represented those healthy families. And, and all of that went away. And, and so where are we and what is the role of schools? And like you, I've for many years have recognized that we built this school system on a model that served us well for about a, a world that was maybe 150 years ago. Yeah. And we, we haven't changed. And it's, it's silly and it, it's time for a change, but at the education level, it's gonna be painful and it's gonna require misstarts. And you know, the, the, the butterfly evolution analogy, in, in a funny way, it may be that from the goo arises not a butterfly, but, but uh, some disfigurement. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then we have to go back to the goo and try again and we have to go back to the goo and try again but the the important thing is to resist the temptation to try to go back to what no longer applies as a solution several things and um it would take me three hours to like get to all of them from, from what you just said number one looking at your face i can see how how uh, excited you are about these possibilities you know, you're not you're you're not sitting there going, oh my God, what are we? Yeah. No, it's like and and and, which is yeah. which is cool. And I think all of us have access to that, but it takes courage, it takes faith in time. One of the things you said, which I think is important for us to mark, is that schools are not just places where kids learn. As you said, for for many lower income kids. Those are the only two meals that they get, right? Um, for parents, where both parents have to work and don't make much money, and you know how you may know how exp incredibly expensive daycare is, they don't have any place for the kids to be safe. Schools are a place where our kids learn how to um, be with other human beings and like work out their work out their stuff, right? Yeah. And schools are places where we learn cognitively and effectively and spiritually and all those other ways too. So, so part of what the, the sort of spotlight of this time is, is it showing schools are this, but they're also this, but they're also this, but they're also this. And it's time we said, okay, what can we do for A? How does that impact B? See what I mean? Rather than seeing schools as this kind of blob that like has to do everything. Yeah, it's, this is, I'm glad you picked up on my excitement about possibility. At the same time, I wouldn't want to mislead and suggest that I don't also have days where I feel like, what, what in the hell am I doing? Is this my life now? What, I, I want to go back. I want to ride around on planes and visit people. And, yeah. and, and, you know, during those times, I could start sinking and 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 i have to reframe and rethink and sort of say wait recenter on my own purpose you know which is inspire others to lead with greater awareness and it, it's just based on a belief that if 
if leaders led with greater awareness, we'd have a better world. And so if I can recenter on that and, and say, okay, that's my purpose. And how can I still fulfill this purpose sitting in this office? Um, I can, I can kind of come back up for air. But I just wanted to make that point because I, I do feel energized and excited. But like everybody else, the interesting thing with this pandemic is it touches everybody. There's, because everybody's life all across the spectrum, some more than others, but all across the spectrum, everybody's life has been impacted in some way. And I'm no exception. We are, we are all grieving. Yeah. We are grieving. Even if part of what we have lost was dysfunctional, right? Yeah. We, I, I, um, it took me a while to figure out that part of what I was going through was grief. You know what a sine wave is, right? Of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a visual and kinesthetic learner, so I like to do and see. And the way I, because I was, I was feeling every once in a while this kind of crushing downward motion, but I couldn't locate it to what had just happened, right? It isn't like my uh, dog got hit by a car. No. Well, so for me, I think of these sine waves and one is the pandemic, one is um, education, one is the economy, one is the election. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. And I used to surf a lot. And every once in a while when you surf, if you pay close attention, you will see this kind of rogue wave that appears at randomly because tide, current, wind have all come together for that moment. And I think in our lives now, all those sine waves occasionally match up perfectly, which makes the peak big and powerful and, and um, unfigureoutable, yeah. right? But it just goes, bam. It just knocks us. So I'm going to cut to one final question because the two questions I thought of, you already got to, which I will forgive you for. <laughs> Somehow I'll find it in my heart, John. Um, years down the line, when you are no longer here to, to you have two, two boys, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. When you are no longer here to bother them, how would you like them to tell their kids or their grandkids that in 2020, this is how dad behaved. What would you like that legacy to sound like? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it would be great to hear them talk about um, some semblance of stability in the face of uncertainty. And but but not because I represented certainty about how things were going to be, but rather embraced this idea of uncertainty. And and that there is a loss in that, but the loss is sort of for an illusion of certainty rather than certainty. <laughs> you know, the, the loss of I knew how things worked and I knew what to do and I knew what models I could roll out and kind of had it down and I was in a groove and all of a sudden. It wasn't there anymore, and I had to figure out how to have an effective meeting on Zoom and didn't know how. And so it flung me sort of back into some areas of incompetence. And, and so sitting with incompetence and sitting with discomfort 
and being being able to do that and being able to talk that through and recenter and re-anchor on what matters most. If they, if my sons had a story about that related to me, but maybe even more importantly, a story about that related to their own experience and how they found some resilience in this, in the face of just moments, momentous, momentous, however that word said, <laughs> uncertainty. I think that that would be the, the great story because in, until now for, for my boys, most of life, there's been some ups and downs, but most of life has sort of been sailing along, you know, the, the economy's okay, you know, the situation's okay, education's kind of predictable, work opportunities are out there, and then none of that was predictable. Yeah. And, and if they could look back on this time and say, boy, that's when I really learned uh, the need to be flexible the need to adjust, the need to recenter on what matters most, whether it's family and community or other things, that was the takeaway from this time. That was that that's what set me on a different course in life to sort of give more points and more credence to the life I want to live, why I want to live it, and and how that relates to who I who I am and who I want to be, rather than what do I want and how much money do I want to make? <laughs> thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been such a pleasure for me. Um, we will talk again before long because <clears throat> this is way too much fun to just have it disappear for me. Be well. Uh, my regards to your sons because I could see the love that you have for them. Thank, thank you, Mac. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Appreciate talking with you, and I hope we talk again. We shall. All right. All right. Take, take really good care, right? Yep. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, Let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.